This episode of Stolen Signs is brought to you by Fielder's Choice Goods, featuring beautiful hand-cut wallets made from vintage, game-worn baseball gloves. Get an exclusive offer of 10% off their Classics line just in time for Father's Day when you go to fcgoods.com slash stolen signs. That's fcgoods.com slash stolen signs. Someone is waiting just for you. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 26 of the Stolen Signs podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Hello Harry. Hello Kendall. How are you doing? Well, I'm just going to see some baseball games this weekend, hopefully. Hopefully. In person? In in the flesh. But in the seats? I have been only to one game this year, so. Same. Which is sad. Yep. Um... I think I'm going to see two games in the next week. So Nice. Both Cubs games? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, one will be a Brewers game if all goes according to plan. Wonderful. Beautiful so. park up there in Milwaukee. Yes, I do enjoy Miller Park. Although I feel it's the retractable roof in Seattle I prefer. Same. It's a little nicer. Yes. But I really, really like Miller Park, and I like to go tailgate there. Nice. I just like Milwaukee general i saw uh greg maddox's 299th victory in miller park and it was the first game that my wife and i went to together oh wow yeah so there's my miller park and i was at the um the all-star game tie Uh, Uh, the shrug yeah that was (laughs) that was at miller park and i left early because i had to because i had to get back to go to that work. worked out. That's like the like rarely people like like I left the game early and there was an amazing comeback and, and it was like no and then they showed their commissioner shrugs and it totally <laughs> worked out. Like usually that's that's amazing. That's yeah. the time. So yeah, so hopefully I'll be uh, next time we talk I will be uh, fully baseballed completely Wonderful. and ready and sunburnt perhaps. No, I think I should be safely not in the sun. Although I don't know, I may end up in the sun. But anyways, we're not here to talk about the sun. No, but we're I do want to do want to make note of a circle around the sun, Harry. It was your birthday, and I wanted it to just was. wish you publicly a happy birthday. Thank you very much. This is true. I did another lap around the sun. Another lap around the sun. Uh, yeah. So today we have Dr. Meredith Wills on the show, and um, she's going to be talking about her recent research about the baseball and the like what makes up the baseball the contents of the baseball uh the seams and the thread and the wool and the pill and the leather and all of that business um she methodically ripped that apart and did some research and found some interesting things so we're going to talk to her about that before we do we are going to hear from a sponsor. And before we hear from our sponsor, FC Goods, we're going to tell you to follow us on Twitter, at stolen underscore signs. Rate and review us on iTunes. We're also on Spotify and TuneIn Radio and all of that business. Um, so do that. And uh, we will be back and talk with Meredith. Stick around. This episode of Stolen Signs is brought to you by Fielder's Choice Goods. 
wallets, card cases, and money clips made from repurposed vintage baseball gloves. Each product is one of a kind, bearing the marks of the piece of baseball history from which it's made. For a limited time, get an exclusive Father's Day offer of 10% off the entire Fielder's Choice Classics line when you go to fcgoods.com slash stolen signs. That's fcgoods.com slash stolen signs. Fielder's Choice Goods, the legacy is in the leather. You recently came across a study that has an interesting theory, didn't you? Yeah, it was an article in The Athletic by Dr. Meredith Wills, who's an uh, astrophysicist, and she basically, uh, well, Major League Baseball had conducted this uh, research on the baseball and why it was carrying so much, and really all that was determined for Major League Baseball is that there's a little bit less drag on the baseball, and that's why the ball tends to carry a little bit further. But she took the study a little bit further in that she took the baseball apart, completely apart, and what she realized during her study was the fact that the uh, the seams are 9% thicker than in previous issues of baseballs, and perhaps that that could be something that leads to not only the baseball traveling a little bit further, but also the uh, the increase in blisters that we have seen as far as pitchers have been concerned over the years. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Meredith Wills about her recent article about the baseball. Thanks for joining us, Meredith. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. So your recent research and article was about the kind of the contents and the makeup of the baseball. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to that research and then maybe what you found? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I guess I should say I have a sort of unrelated, but a fair bit of history with taking apart baseballs anyway. So this is something that I already have a lot of experience with. Um, and when it was clear that the 20 home run surge, excuse me, the, 2017 home run surge was going on. Um, I thought that maybe the difference was, in fact, the ball itself. And some of this was actually inspired by a talk that Alan Nathan, who is actually chair of MLB's Home Run Committee, a talk that he gave at Sabre Seminar last year and showed that there was a material change uh, specifically things seem to be kind of even up to 2014. Then there was a shift through 2015 and the 2016 and 17 balls seem to be the same. Uh, and so I thought, great. You know, if I take a look at balls from 2014 and then take a look at balls from 2016 and 17 together, I did treat them as the same. Maybe I'll see a difference in the construction. Um, part of the reason this seemed reasonable is because in the past, there actually has been a history of changing the construction of the ball and that then leading to how the ball travels. Um, the best example is the transition from the dead ball to the live ball era, which was in part because of World War One and the fact that they no longer had American wool they could use to make the yarn for the baseballs. So they started importing wool from Australia. And, and merino wool turns out to be, I don't know if it's springier, but basically you suddenly were getting livelier baseballs because they use different wool. So I thought, you know, maybe there's something along these lines. And, and I took apart baseballs incredibly systematically. Like I didn't, didn't waste anything, didn't cut anything up. 
Um, and I didn't actually find any systematic changes with the interior of the ball, certainly nothing that was statistically significant. And then, um, and it was almost an accidental at the end where in trying to get the lengths on the actual red laces, um, I was using a cylinder to get the length. You know, it was, it was an easier way than just trying to stretch out something that's 110 centimeters long and get an accurate uh, measurement to a millimeter. And um, I realized that the laces looked uh, when I had the 2014 ones wrapped versus the 2016-17 wrapped. And so I decided to look at thickness. And it was literally the last measurement that I did, and it would not have happened had I not chosen to do this particular type of measurement for length. And lo and behold, uh, you know, very straightforward type of measurement, which is used in fiber arts all the time. Uh, It's generally done over an inch. In this case, I did it over centimeters because uh, the laces are so thin. But really all you do is you take uh, your thread, your laces, whatever, and wrap it around a marked dowel over a certain, you know, whatever length that you can measure to, and then you figure out how many wraps you're getting over that length, and that ultimately can get you a thickness, The, um, in this case, the laces. And I found a statistically significant difference uh, that averaged at 9%, which is pretty substantial, actually, if you think about it. So you found um, there was no other know, so effect it, except that. Like, everything else you looked at was the same between the two, statistically the same between the two balls. Everything. And But uh, this but only, this one thing yeah. was really different. Really different, yeah. Okay. Um, I The uh, actual data, or, you know, the, the, the average points, plus or minus the standard deviations, are shown in the article that I published in The Athletic, and I did 16 independent variables, and 15 of them, the error bars overlap. And in this case, uh, you know, if you took it out two standard deviations, you might get a minor overlap, but it's it's pretty a pretty significant difference. You when, you, um, when you did this, can you, like, like when you were wrapping it around the dowel, was there, mm-hmm. like, um, consistent... Like it does the the what is it thread I guess like the the laces do they have much laces are basically very thick thread do they have much give like would there be any sort of um, like if you pulled it more tightly around would it stretch out I'm trying to even think of how that might be would it get thicker or thinner or is there not that much um, there's tension? actually it's not like yarn it really is like thread so okay. it's you can't really compress it or squish it down. I mean, I did try to be very, very very consistent in that when I was wrapping it around the dowel, I made sure it was wrapped as tightly as I could get it first. So any compression was going into the dowel and therefore squishing it to the side, there was just nothing left, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, Yep. um, So yeah, so you you were starting out looking how long is this and you ended up like, wait, like the thickness is different. Yep. 
so I can see and measuring tip to tip, like the technique was to wrap, but also in doing the wrapping, you could figure you realize. So this was like super accidental. Uh, Yeah. I would never have dawned on me to do it. And it's interesting though, being, being aware of the difference now, um, I, if you handed me a whole bunch of, of laces and asked me to split them up just by feel into 2014 and 2016, 17, I could do it. It's like, now that I know to feel for it, I can absolutely feel the difference. And I, and I mean, I, I'm not making this up. I actually could do it, but you now understand why pitchers have been saying the ball feels different. It's actually not really that hard to tell. Well, that's what Rich Hill is saying, and he bought your article to uh, Dave Roberts as a result. Mm-hmm. But he's been saying this for a couple of years, which fits the timeline that the ball changed. Yeah, now but that's the thing ball. is it started in 2016, I think, right? Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, the ball like was started to people started talking about home runs, and I, that looked like there was a spike after the All Star break in 2015, mm-hmm. and yep. the, the causes of it were were misleading as. Listeners to the show may remember that the launch angles and things and exit velocity relationships hadn't changed. It was just a measurement change uh, with with the radar system had been changed across baseball. Uh, so you looked at the other system and showed it hadn't. So it was really, you know, a gradual process of the ball flying further, nothing about the hitters changing their technique. And it's, it seems to be reversing it a little bit. So I'd be super curious if you can get your get your hands on literally on any of these new baseballs from this year because I think there's it's drags. I'm already new. working on it. Yay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a there's a lot of, of places you can take this. Um, you know, there's there's absolutely follow up studies in there. Yeah, that that's so. great. My, my question is, like, mm-hmm. have you had a chance to, like, I know that you have these balls that you've taken apart. Have you had a chance to, um, like, hold a ball from, like, 2014 versus one from 2016? You said, like, if you were holding the laces, you could tell. But if you were to hold a ball, would you be able to feel the difference? I, I, I do not know. And one of the problems is the sample sets were small enough. I only had 12 from 2014 right. and 14 from 2015, 16. So I did get rid of all of them yeah. for the follow-up studies though. I'm absolutely going to keep one ball separate <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would <laughs> be interesting. Lessons learned from you're not study the first number one. one to ask. Well, it's, that's how science works though. No, you know? I know. I mean, this is a great point because part of what you were yeah. doing was this kind of fastidiousness of the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to measure all my materials. I'm going to save all my materials. I'm just going, to, it, it, you know, this is something anybody's worked in, in a research lab, working with any kind of materials or human subjects or animal subjects, and you keep track of everything very carefully, just because you should, just from good scientific mm-hmm. protocol. Yeah, and you know, and it's also fun taking apart things. So there's you get to combine. You're like, oh, I'm going to take apart this thing and look at the yarn, which was of interest. Yep. Combine with your your scientific, you know. The, the rigor of your training, which is be rigorous with your methods and what's going on in the lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And then th- that way things can happen by accident. You know what I mean? This is like kind of the luck is the residue of design. You, you make mm-hmm. your own luck, whatever it is, but it's like, this is like the mm-hmm. serendipity is. Yeah. You, this, it's like, why are you measuring that? Because I don't know. Yeah. What, and 99% of what you measure. One of the things. 
that one thing. Right. Yeah. One of the things I found ironic is that I'm not the only one who's taking baseballs apart, but everybody else I've talked to, they come to me and they're like, yeah, we took them apart. But of course, what they do is they immediately slice through the laces with a razor or scissors. So the one, right, and discard it, one right? thing that's different was the one thing that was being destroyed. Never dawned on anybody. And so and, and was there a specific reason why you unstitched as opposed to cut? Because you, I mean, you like ended up with the intact leather with the hole still intact. Like you could have re-sewn these baseballs back together. Probably still. Well, that's not true. I, the, they wouldn't I, work the, that I well. Did, <laughs> I did have to take a, I did have to take a pair of scissors to the cotton thread layer. Well, yeah, the one, that layer. Because it's so matted with glue that you can't, uh, you can't unwind it. But what? So, um, but so it was just the you had decided up front that unless you ran to something like that, that you know everything is going to remain intact. So even though yeah. at that point the laces were not of interest, like it was well, still part of the. I I I will admit that you know in, in however many years when this is no longer relevant, the reason that I was taking baseballs apart to begin with particularly because of the yarn, um, there's collaborations that I've been doing with the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, particularly we're, and for the, the, the yarn inside the baseballs. Um, you know, there's, there's this whole knitting component, which people who know anything about me, it won't surprise them at all, but I've been doing collaboration with the Baseball Hall of Fame for several years now. And one of the things that I've been doing is actually creating pieces that we haven't started doing it yet, but the idea is we're going to auction them off in support of the Hall of Fame, which, by the way, is a 501c3 charity. So it's not like it's funded by MLB to keep it going. Um, and so the idea would be to auction off these things made out of baseball yarn. Well, suddenly the leather and the laces and all that kind of stuff becomes interesting for other projects related to that i mean something as simple even as you know they've asked well can you put a label in the back that happens to be one of the uh leather pieces from the baseball and you want the red stitching around it or it's just not going to look right so i just got in the habit of pulling everything apart completely intact because you never knew when you were going to use it you know it's a waste not want not almost at that point uh, i love it <laughs> this is such, yeah, this is, I mean, this it's is... just you know you get to keep re- using stuff until there's just nothing i mean even even the 2014 baseballs that i used were exactly the same baseballs that ben Lindbergh and mitchell lickman used in their study exactly the same balls i mean not just from the same but physically the same balls yeah they gave you they gave you their whatever wasn't blown up or cut or burnt oh (laughs) well i mean actually some of the ones uh there there there's at least one of the 2014 balls where the leather on the outside is absolutely damaged because of the way it was hit the cover is partly torn off the ball so some of them do are are actually you know the leather itself was affected by impact yes so you can tell these things were were impacted at washington state (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. I, I i i actually don't even remember how you know like exactly how I think they were probably looking at coefficient of restitution. Did they do uh, the steel cylinder or like a, a fly? I can't remember if they did the CCOR. That was I, I don't remember. All I know is I, I mean, I, I have baseball. Oh, the CCOR was in the MLB study. Yeah, I think the CCOR is MLB. And before yeah. that, what, everything is just COR. Like off a 
slab or you know right. off a metal plate or something right but cool. yeah you see impact marks there's there's even these little ballpoint x's to show how many times it's been hit and where the impact was on the ball you cool. know there's a barcode on it that says wsu and has a number after it you know? these, so these all need they're to be clearly the balls put, from that study these all need to be put in the baseball science museum uh that yeah. doesn't exist yet but when well, it does, you know, I mean, I'm friends with the senior curator at the Hall of Fame. Maybe we should have a wing for, yeah, there you go. There should be, a, there should be part of the game. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? The science, the science part? The science, all of it, all the history sure. of, the, of the materials sure. of the game. Yeah. Those, those are the most basic fundamental, you know, and a part of the game is the smell and the feel, you know, of, of mm-hmm. things like baseball glove and the, the fresh cut grass and, Oh yeah, absolutely. the stale chewing tobacco. I mean, all those wonderful. Oh, okay, no, no. I, I think I prefer. Yeah, D- dugouts there. can be a pretty disgusting place. Don't look at the floor if you're ever in a dugout. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, so moving forward, are you? Do you? You mentioned that you do have some plans and, and have started doing some additional research. Um, is that something that's going to be like ongoing in terms of the laces and different well, uh, further study? It's the the I mean, let's put it this way: the I have I would be really surprised if I came up with a result that is as consequential as the lace thickness, because um, that's one that and and as far as explaining the home run surge. You know, there's there's a bunch of tests that need to be done because you would think that thicker laces would somehow create more drag. Um, something that Depends. needs to be tested. Well, that's because if you get the right about. kind Sorry, of please. turbulence off the surface, it can actually make the ball experience less drag. Oh, see, I, I actually think that the, the fallacy is is in thinking that it's the surface at all. Um, the only thing, because because what what people tend to do is they tend to convolve lace thickness and seam height, and the seam height is actually what I'm going to look at next. Because oh, again, right. it's not the same thing, right? Torn out. Sorry, they're not the same thing. But we want to explain know, that. A dozen like, baseballs. I forget. Sorry, what? Yeah, explain that. You know why seam height and seam thickness are distinct. Seam height and lace thickness. This is the th- so so okay. okay. Different 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 um, terminology. The laces are the thick red thread. The stitches or a stitch is a particular stitch of said red thread. The okay. seam is the line that the stitches are going around the ball on. Now, the, like the gap between the two uh, pieces. Well, no, that. no. Just, just even, just think of it as like a seam on a on a. Okay, so it's literal. Okay, it's it piece is clothing or something like that. But it's okay. just it's the contiguous thing of the laces. Gotcha. So, I I've been trying, and and I don't expect other people to do this, but I try really hard myself now that I'm do, doing this to not mix up the terms because it's so easy to make it, mix up the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, the seams, and again, this is something that I want to go through and quantify because this was just stuff that I noticed in passing because I wasn't recording it, do not seem to be influenced. Not that there's no lace thickness influence, but they seem to be influenced more by the leather and particularly the fit of the covers. If you find a ball that has a really thick seam on it, like a really high seam, 
it's it's physically bulges out in a way that almost looks like the leather is being gapped. Like the covers are too big and extra leather is being pulled under the seams. So, you know, oh, it's yeah. So it's like kind of like a, it's like curving it's a, underneath itself. Right, right. It's it's a ridge that's, you know, like like, like a quarter inch wide or something or however wide the, the, the lace stitches are. So wait, is, it, is the, the leather thicker or is like the hole not cut as close to the edge? What, what? It's either, well, that's what I want to find out. I want to find okay. out if it's that the hole is uncut as close to the edge. That's one possibility. Another possibility could be, and the, 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 the one I suspect it is, is just that there is an X millimeter or two in the width of the leather at that point. Like the, the, the physical, because don't forget, I mean, it's, it's ultimately the height of an animal. It's organic. And no matter, one thing I definitely can tell you, and I still have all the leather to show that is that no matter how well they're going to do it, some, as far as standardizing, some leather is going to be more pliable or is going to be more likely to stretch than Oh, other. yeah, it's not uh, a synthetic. Yeah, Right, and, and unless, unless everything was a synthetic and the only thing on the ball that is synthetic is the pill, and even that, you can tell, isn't spherical, having taken digital calipers to it, it's not, it's close, but it's not spherical. It's got a seam around the center for starters. <laughs> so, there's a um, seam but, within the so, oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that's that's a that's a different kind of seam. Oh that's on, on a rubber ball. Right. But yeah, see, 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 this is the problem with the terminology. <laughs> there seems to be something with the seam, not that seam. You seem yeah. to be talking about the other seam. <laughs> Who's on first? I don't know. It's right. I don't know. <laughs> um, sorry. Okay, so the thickness of the seam. Okay, so the, the this so, like has to do with how it's stitched together. Right, so, there's so a lot, anyway, there's like five yeah. factors in there. Right. So it's, the height of the seam could be related to any one or of a number of things. Okay. But one of the things that you know that that I found in the scatter, like there there was a lot of scatter, particularly in things like like lace length, which surprised me. Um, even when I had balls that were clearly all from a single lot. And you can tell they're saying a lot because one of the things that baseballs show on the inside is there's a six character. I mean, it like, looks like random letters, but their Rawlings presumably has a record. Um, that Wait, where where is it? All six characters are the same. It's on physically on the inside of the of the leather. If you find oh, a major, wow. and it has to be a major league baseball official, major league baseball that's got the Rob Manfred signature on it or Bud Selig or whoever. Um, and you take the leather off, there is stamped on the inside in black ink, six letters. And they, you know, for, for my, the 2014 ones, because I got them from, from um, Ben and Mitch, the, those were all the same lot. So they had all the same six character label. The 2016-17 balls I got from several sources and a few of them were the same lot but most of them were different lots um what was how, how big was is a lot even when like, i pulled i have no I idea ask. i literally have no idea it's got to be at least 12 but that's all yeah okay. I can tell you. <laughs> you know i mean there there are a lot of people who weren't even um i, I talked to alan nathan about some of my data and um he was delighted that i had kept track of the actual lot, you know, designation. 
So that's like, you know, I've got all the data. And one of the things I wrote down for all of them was the lot designation. I didn't waste anything when I recorded got everything. Crazy. Is- everything, pretty much. Um, so lesson, that's, yes. a, this is, when you're doing you research, you don't want to throw things out. Yeah. You, you don't want, you don't know. Always get rid of the data afterwards. But if you don't record it to begin with, you can't go back. I could go back and redo every single one of my measurements with the exception of ball circumference. Yeah, because, because that's I, gone. <laughs> the ball isn't there anymore, but every single other measurement I could redo. One thing you one thing you mentioned in the article, Meredith, was um, like pitchers or uh, like the ball kind of becoming uh, misshapen through play or like how pitchers might want to rough up the seams or the, right. the seams may get roughed up by being put into play or something like that. Um, could you talk about right. why that might make a difference or, or, or yeah, this is, this is one has? that, that is, I'm not sure the effect is entirely within play. After the article came out, I had a few discussions with Alan Nathan and they were finding, they were also finding some drag differences in the lab itself, although I think the drag differences were more pronounced in play. So it's it's more, I think it was accentuated by that. But okay. uh, the, the way to think about it, and this is again, now that we've, we've established that it's necessarily representative of lace thickness, or if it is, it's a small enough factor where we're just gonna pretend they're unrelated. Um, then what comes in is actually the tensile strength of the laces themselves. And the thicker laces are going to be stronger, and so it becomes harder to, you know, fray them or not that there's a lot of stretch or a lot of give, but um, in a way the weak point on the structure of the ball as far as the spherical symmetry is that seam that's going around the ball. You know, right. like if you're going to get a bulge somewhere, it's going to be along that along scene. Those, yeah. And so it's not necessarily going to take a lot. Uh, again, you're dealing with organic material. You're dealing with cotton. Uh, uh, one of the things that, that, you know, I'm thinking about has to do, for instance, with uh, the fact that there's a lot of water used in the process of creating the baseball to begin with they soak the leather they then um put and this is all in the mlb uh report by the way so you can go and read about this but they soak the leather before anything is stitched they then when the balls are still wet and they refer to the ball still being wet they put them under pressure to try to reduce that seam height well in the process of doing that what you're doing is you're getting all of this cotton thread wet and then you're putting it under tension by creating stitches um and trying to let it dry that way and you're putting pressure on top of now now, even i mean everybody's knows that if you put cotton in you know hot water in the dryer it'll but we're not going for shrinking here it's more that wet cotton warps um and if you've ever had and and i don't i'm I'm hoping that this is something well, here, let me let me let me give you an example, because I'm hoping this will make sense to you, although I mentioned it to a female friend of mine and she's like, no guy is going to get this. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm working out right. of the assumption that 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 you, you this will make sense, <laughs> which is if you spilled something on a T-shirt, say mm-hmm. you spill coffee on your T-shirt, 
I just and did that. You don't want to walk check. around. <laughs> check. So, so, if it was me and I spilled coffee on so, so my T-shirt, what I would do is I would immediately go into the bathroom and scrub it out. No, is this not something me. you guys have experienced. No, you throw it on the floor. Like no, my I just said, right? try to remember to change my shirt before I go outside. Right. Yeah. That's about there it. There you go. See? And if I do that, that's good. That's <laughs> right. Or throw on a sweatshirt. <laughs> so maybe her stereotype wasn't that far off. But anyway, <laughs> should you? No, so you, so you would go into the bathroom and you would... You go into the bathroom and, and scrub it out, you know... With cold water. This is your... your and again, it's a t-shirt, so it's going to... It's with cold water and just soap. But what you're going to end up for the rest of the day is there's going to be a divot in the shirt right there just because I know, yeah, I know. you put water on it and you stretched it out. This is happening so until like, you wash it... Yeah, with dress shirts, I noticed this. Like even with like you know like at work, not like a, like a dress shirt, but like shirts that like have enough of a, mm-hmm. a certain weight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like I totally you get. It's almost like having like a weird like thumbprint kind of yep. smudged. Exactly. It, it's kind of, so I think what's you, happening until you. Mm-hmm. It's like the crossing of the of the weave. Like it's they cr- the threads cross or whatever they and that gets twisted. Well, the the point being that cotton with water. And, and what they're doing is they are taking cotton thread and getting a pipe for virtue of pulling it through, you know, wet leather and there's glue and all, all this stuff that makes the cotton wet. And it's under tension because those stitches are tight. Oh, yeah. Pulling those stitches out. I mean, I can only pull apart one or two baseballs a day and it would rip my hands apart and it would be because of taking out the laces. It is hard to take out laces because they're tight. Um, and then on top of that, putting pressure on this wet baseball that has cotton laces, because it would it would be a little bit like instead of letting the thing in the dryer, it'd basically be like keeping it pulled tight and letting it dry. It's going to keep the shape of whatever it was when it dries. And then so it's t- entirely I, I get- impossible that the balls are coming out of the factory already slightly warped, which is kind of ironic. Considering that the whole pressure process to begin with is supposedly to make them more spherical. Wow. There are ways to test that. I'd love the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, now but, that MLB is buying Rawlings, I imagine. Yeah. So, MLB, if you want me to come in and <laughs> test that, I would be delighted to. You know, seeing as I have all of this experience with fiber arts and pulling apart, it'd be a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> so, you, you talk to Alan. He, he... I. He is I have the talked chairman. to Alan several times, actually. I know. I mean, um, but, but yeah, you know. I know I, I, I know Alan pretty well, and uh, so far there has that discussion has not. Um, but, but you know, I, I, I think it would be really an interesting thing to do. So, so there's so if there was a list of things to test, because you not just with the yarn and thread, because you mentioned the pill, mm-hmm. uh, like that haven't been tested, because this was kind of a, I, I was I went kind of on a generalized rant a couple episodes ago about mm-hmm. how on earth do you make a uh, projectile and not like, you know, test the drag of it ever. So, but more specifically, what, what would be like the, the things that they sh- that need to be done as part of like the, you know, not just the research that has to continue, but what would be like, you mm-hmm. know, what are the missing parts of that quality control step? You know? Well, I mean, so, some of it actually is, um, I think accepting that variation in the ball is going to exist is fine. Um, I mean, because again, 
everything is organic. The, the two things that are least likely to change, and one of them we've discovered does, is the pill and then the cotton thread. Just because the cotton thread, unless you do something like, say, put it in water and put it under pressure, um, isn't really going to change. But everything else, I mean, it's leather, it's wool, it's, it's, and I mean, and it's stuff that's squishy in a lot of cases. So um, there's going to be variation. I would be very interested to see if there are ways to understand that variation better, like, say, seam height. Um, and not necessarily work from an assumption that lace thickness equals seam height. Um, as far as standardization, uh, I would actually probably be more interested in standardization of the supplies and the materials. You know, I suspect, for instance, that with the lace thickness thing, Rawlings probably had no idea. You know, they don't spin their own thread. They don't even spin their own yarn. They buy it from people. They don't even cut their own own you know, pieces of, of, actually, that's not true. They may cut the leather themselves, but I think the leather is actually tanned somewhere else and then shipped to Rawlings or now MLB, but, you know, was yeah, Rawlings. Well. Um, so their supplies in general come from somewhere else. They don't, they don't have like all of these factories that are manufacturing the stuff independently. So whoever was providing the laces probably changed something very subtly in the, um, in the process and it was so small that it didn't even dawn on them to tell Rawlings, you know. I, I mean, I that doesn't that's surprise probably me. how it propagated. Yeah. The, yeah, that that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've kind of half joked about you know, someone asked, well, "Are the cows being fed differently?" You know, <laughs> it was like whatever. Actually, one one interesting thing, and again, this is more just because I have the data. I know that it hasn't made a material difference but as i was sort of you know putting stuff in order after this step i had some of my yarn from the 2014 set and some of my yarn from the 27 16 17 set and i looked at the gray yarn and it's completely different color and it's uniform everything in the 2014 balls all the gray yarn is one color and all the 2016 17 balls even though all the lots are different pretty much all that yarn is darker gray. And I actually took a picture and sent it to a few people. I'm like, look, do you see a difference? I see a difference. It's all They're these feeding the sheep something changes. different. They're slightly different somehow. Because they don't dye the yarn as far as I know. Yeah, why would they dye the yarn? I think it's just the color it is when it comes off the sheep. Why would you bother to dye the <laughs> Yeah, it would be kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody's dyeing the yarn, that's like that alone is a process we could probably uh, you know, afford to, to not do because... <laughs> Uh, unless you're me, you're never you don't see need the color of the yarn inside. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't well, they're doing it. They're doing it for you, Meredith, because they know that when you're going to open the ball, and you, they want to make it uh -huh. interesting. Oh, oh, that's your so tastes sweet. may have changed. Sweet, yeah. that's so sweet. We, we, it's a different gray. We hope you like it. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> what it does mean, and and I'm glad I found it, is because if I have these these projects planned with the hall of fame it means that i can't mix my 2014 and my 2016 17 yarn in one project because the grays won't match uh -huh. <laughs> so i mean you know for it in, in my mind that's like that was the first thing that occurred to me is shoot okay these have to be split into different lots you know the the term you would use in knitting is dye lots they are like different dye lots you can't mix them up so but but yeah there are differences and i think just understanding the 
well, first of all, trying not to have differences in the actual sources from year to year uh, would be. And then if we can't understand what impact those have. And then I suppose the other thing would be that when something like, you know, you have a Rich Hill or an Aaron Sanchez or whatever, and they say the ball's different, don't, you know, I mean, take them more seriously. Uh, I mean, and, you know, I guess MLB probably did take it seriously, but the way the questions have been asked, they miss this. And I don't know if it's that you'd need different people asking the question or something. Uh, you know, I was surprised, for instance, to discover there isn't a former player on the, um, on the home run committee. Everybody's an academic. I don't know if that had an influence. You know, if Rich Hill was on the committee, the first thing he would have done was ask to see the laces, right? Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's the way the questions are asked. But... It's almost always. Yeah. You don't even know what the right question It's like figuring out what the right question yeah, yes. or even yeah, figuring out what the right question is. What on the answer? Like you don't have a chance yeah. to get the answer. You know that your answer is going to be yeah. wrong. Let's at least try and get the right questions. Yes, that's the. That's, I mean, and and the way that and I I mean we've all been in this situation though where you are on a particular type of time. I mean, and this isn't you know. Uh, this is a general comment this is not specific to the home run study but when you're sufficiently unfamiliar with a to- topic that you don't even know what question to ask um and yeah, you don't know so what you don't know what you don't know you don't know what you don't yeah. know yeah that's that's a good way to put it and you don't know and, how to manage it and part of that's like just managing what that kind of abstraction is right in a concrete place you know but it's like right. you have to realize like there's things we just do not know and they're right. going to be and and kudos to the home run committee for saying we know the ball is different, but we don't know how, you know. And I think that was right. that was that was a really big deal was them to at least say, you know, because that's that's how you should be doing sciences. Okay, clearly there's something going on. And you know, Alan and I had some back and forth early on, um, right after this study came out, and I think I sent him an outline and I said, okay, here's what we know. We know the drag coefficient. We know the laces are. We hypothesize that there is a, a a connection between the two because they are the only differences that have been found. How does this sound? I said, yeah, that, that sounds about right. But that, yeah, it's not exactly. That's like the grand unifying theory of this is all we got. It's it's Occam's razor. <laughs> that's what it is. You know, but, it's basically. But it's not. But there's no explanation. The, you, know, you know, we have to. That's why you have to go through a, now, like an entire, you know, a new right. serpentine route of questions and. and well, stuff. and there's the, in my mind at least, the questions are pretty straightforward. I mean, at the very least, what you do is you find. First of all, you find baseballs from different years. Um, you know, maybe 2014 was an aberration. Maybe the lot I had was an aberration. You know. Yeah, uh, a single lot is a limitation to the right. study base. I mean, in, in some ways, it's a limitation. It's, in it's other a, ways, yeah. it eliminates very. It, it's it's got advantages and disadvantages. That's um, that's so science. it just depends on the type of question you're asking. Oh. But the uh, you know so having balls from different years and seeing if the lace thickness change does it change in jumps, um, you know it's very telling that the change happened right around or started to happen right around when Bud Selig retired and Rob Manfred came on. You got to wonder, 
It's all the supplier. You know, I think this is going to be something mundane, and you mm-hmm. really hinted at this, like about like, oh, yeah. you know, our thread supplier, that you know, the guys we buy the red stuff from, right? Yeah, we used to buy the gray and the red from one guy, and now we got these two companies that we do it from. So the gray is a little right. different, and the red was the mm-hmm. same for you know, it's always the same. Oh no, it's a little different now. Oh why? Yep. Oh, because there's some like four lines down, four points down the supply chain, mm-hmm. some link for way, you know, detached from Rawlings, maybe yep. detached from the people rolling up the red and sending it to them. Mm-hmm. It changed. Yep. And then really not yeah. hardly, yeah, this is... you know, we, we're not going to, you know, unless you're specifically looking for this very specific thing. And <laughs> now, now we will, right? Now people are going to, now they're going to probably, you know, major baseball, however they run Rawlings, is it going to be probably, I would hope a new laundry list of things, but for hopefully what they do first though, is study them and like, which ones are relevant right. through the process. And every year or two years or whatever, do a new like fishing expedition as it were to see, okay, is there anything that we've missed in the past? But right. you can't have an infinite set of variables to be looking at, but at some point you have to say, this is what matters to the performance in yeah. play to injuries, to, mm-hmm. Well, and that's actually the the big one is that that the, you know, when you have a a critical mass, say, of pitchers saying the ball's different, start from the concept of the ball's different, not not just is it different, like like asking the question, so is the ball different? Start from the hypothesis, the ball is how? Like, take that as the given and then figure out what about the ball happens to be different. And if you, you know, I mean, that's basically what the home run committee did was they said, you know, the drag coefficient has changed. The only thing that could be causing this is the ball. Therefore, the ball is different. We just don't know how. So at least the home run committee did come to that conclusion about the ball being different. Um, You know, they didn't have the answer, but at least that was the given, which is great. It gives us a place to start from moving forward. Exactly. As as opposed to, I think there was the, the, and there wasn't much in the way of reports, but I remember a really, I mean, it actually referenced an interesting article from the OC Register uh, from last that was, uh, you know, I don't, Rich Hill was, I guess, interviewed for it. I don't think he didn't write it, but, um, you know, and some of the things that he was bringing forward, and he did mention lace thickness. He actually suggested it a year ago. Um and that there was something said by MLB that was clearly not followed up on, or at least not followed up on to the extent that it, in retrospect, could have been. Um, you know, so I think that that would be a, a great process because you're right. I mean, you have, you have people who are losing time to injury. You have teams that are therefore losing money because they're losing pitchers due to injury. Uh, because a blister is an injury. So, uh, you know, there, there's also, I am waiting, for instance, to see if, uh, you know, let's say they don't change the ball back and all the pitchers change their grips and so the blister, blister problem goes away. This is in our hypothetical future. Um, so when suddenly the home run rates have gone up, are we going to start putting asterisks next to the new home run, uh, the new home run records? 
the same way that they did with Mickey Mantle or wanted to, or not Mickey Mantle, excuse me, with Roger Maris. Yeah, it was Maris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, the thing. It's like the, you know, you know there's this, there's been so many different anomalies with baseballs, like eight, 1987 rabbit ball. You right. know, there's, you know, that's baseball. Yeah. And, and, and it is, and it's just interesting here that we found, we, we, during the process, we found what's going on. You know, a lot of times people aren't really aware of, oh, okay, this is what's... Well. Yeah, because we have so much more technology and ability to measure it. It gave people the impetus. You couldn't just go, oh, well, that's just what it looks like. And it's like, no, we have data. Yep. Or and, in, and the MLB in, could not in, ignore the data case, after it was there. We, we have a key pin and being able to pull apart the thread and wrap yeah. it around the dowel. Um, you know, the hand I, I could, I could have done this 100 years ago with exactly the same materials, maybe longer ago than that. So... I mean, the other parts I needed digital calipers for, but not the thread. <laughs> Seams, laces, all that stuff. All, you know all what of I that. Mean. The different, right. All of the different materials. <laughs> all those wonderful materials. Yeah, just this, see, this is what I mean about getting the terms mixed up. Even I'm doing it now. That's funny. All right, Meredith. Well, thank you so much for coming on and um, discussing the, your research and uh, what you found and uh, sharing it with us and our listeners. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, We just talked with Meredith. Thanks again, Meredith Wills, for coming on the show. That was amazing. That was fascinating. I hope everybody learned a lot about uh, how to learn. Totally. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of do a little bit of follow-up. So in episode... Every episode? Edit out the silence. Uh, Yeah, every episode we've talked about Shohei Uh, Otani. I can't believe it didn't come up with Meredith because even as the, well, you know, you heard in the before, before it's beginning, I think you hear Victor Rojas from the Angels game. Right. And they were interested because Otani had a blister, which turned out to reach all the way into his <laughs> elbow. Yeah. Had a blister on his elbow. It's he terrible. Had a blister, a second degree, uh, second grade blister on his UCL. Um, but no, yeah, Otani is. I'm very surprised that that didn't come up. We did talk about Rachel. But yeah. It's time to look back at our, our two-way players. Again. Episode 7, for those seven. interested in, in, in so going to our ago. back catalog. Episode 7. Uh, yeah, so we talked about the rise of the two-way player. And mm-hmm. so we talked about Otani coming over. He's been amazing. Um, we also... Yeah, that, so it worked. So now, no. Oh, oh. It worked. For him, it did. It, it did. It worked. It was really good for a while. So I don't know what's going to happen now. So, like... Well, like is he is he gonna you, you know we we're not gonna see him for because they're saying they want to avoid surgery but I I'm just kind of assuming that that's not I don't know I just kind of feel like he's gonna just end up roll being my off. eyes so so I mean yeah like, I mean, he anybody, should, he'll be back he'll keep doing it but it worked like it, the whole like can this thing happen worked so I don't the, ergo I don't think we're gonna have any halt to the two-way the, players. The two-way players in fact we have a new one. Do you, well, do you think before we get to the new one? Do you think that he, when he comes back, he's going to come back first as a hitter because he's not going to have to um, 
like the he, rehab for a hitter is not going to take as long as it would for a pitcher. So maybe he that could come back in a year. Good question. Hitting and then 18 months or so pitching. I don't know. I don't imagine we'll see him pitching until 2020. the 2020. Assuming he has to have surgery. That's we'll heartbreaking. Yeah, we'll see. The bottom line is he's out for a while. Yeah. We'll have a better idea in a couple weeks, apparently. But he is going to be out for a while. He's not going to be in the All-Star game, which... Sucks. Yeah. A lot of bummers. So, you mentioned there is another... So, Brendan McKay and Hunter Green were the two two-way players that we talked about yes. previously. And, and Hunter Green's two-way edge... I think even by the time we recorded, it was already it was like... coming to an end, yeah. It was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, printed like that day. Right. Like, the, the final interview with him as a hitter. He's getting under control in uh, Dayton, pitching for the Dragons in the Midwest League, and which is low A ball. And he was kind of a little rough in the beginning, and it really controlling his pitch counts. And he's only getting like one or two innings at a time, and now he's like pitching four or five innings a shot and, and crushing people's souls. Out of boy, hundred mile an hour fastball reports coming out of pretty much. Every, like every inning, like there's so many people going to his games, covering him. He's getting covered, you know, like crazy. So it's always like he's getting 100 on the stadium gun again. It's like this really, like the wave of excitement's there, but he's a ways off, you know. I remember when Alex Reyes was at the same kind of point, and it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, he's still not because he's had really unfortunate injury problems. You know, he's still not you know full-time but he's so if you think about how you know from the midwest league to the big leagues is a, is a pretty long distance but this but he's a real pitching prospect but his hitting days are long over right. mckay on the other hand Not i suspect so we're all, i think we're going to lose him as a two-way player really what level because he's still he's in high a now Right. He's made it to the Florida State League, yeah. yeah. So he's in high A, and he's pitched there. He's got 23-plus innings. There, yeah, plus and another the same. 20 games. In Bowling Green earlier, I think. Yeah, he's got uh, 20 games as a hitter, so he's he's still going to But he's not hitting. Ways. I mean, he's getting on base. He doesn't he – doesn't, he walks a lot, but he doesn't – there's really no – doesn't seem to be any pop in his bat. But he's pitching well. Look, I mean, he's striking out a ton of guys. He seems yeah. to not be blocking a lot of guys either. I haven't really heard reports on him like you hear about Green, so I don't really have anything to share. But looking at his numbers, you know, yeah. you don't scout the stats, but looking at his, his batting stats don't look as good. They're certainly not jumping off the page at you. Yeah. Yeah, like I think his slugging is lower than his on base, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it so, is. you know, I mean – and he was a college player, wasn't he? Yes, he went to Louisville. Yeah, so he's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he's 22, yeah, he's 22 at high A. So he's so he's pitching well, and he's moving properly as a pitcher, but he's way behind as a hitter. So we'll see how much they focus on the hitting going forward. I'd be, I, so I'd keep an eye on that. I could see him dropping out of the uh, two-way experiment. That's just my theory. Yeah. Based on a cynical viewing of some statistics, right. just probably therefore be wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see some guys or to talk to some folks who have sat on him uh, and Hunter Green both, and then also uh, folks who have seen the the newest 
entree into the two-way player who is Clayton Andrews from Clayton Long Beach Andrews. State. Dirtbag. The dirtbag. And uh, he Center was... Center fielder slash left-handed pitcher. Yes, and just drafted by the Brewers. In the 17th round, I'm doing off that off of memory. Is that right? Sounds right. He's like an actual, like you know, good player. He's, but he's not a large human. No, he's like out two base size. Foot, yeah, five foot six, hundred and sixty pounds. He's a left-handed center fielding pitching, you know, guy. But he looks to be a good hitter. Looks to be a pretty decent pitcher, and he was indeed drafted as a two-way player. Interesting. Yes. So, so that's that's uh, so we may net out. You know, we don't know. We don't know. We're, we came in with three. We're really two. We're temporarily down to one. We got back. Now we're down to we're up to two. Maybe, maybe three if Otani comes back soon. But we could lose McKay back to if Otani's delayed. We're still at one, maybe two. So, you know, our supply feels a little thin. Feels a little at risk. So, any potential two-way players, feel free come to come on up. Yeah, come on. Step up. on up. Get into the organized affiliated baseball, so we will talk about you, and we're going to talk about Otani no matter what. We'll have Otani updates as, as much stuff. as humanly possible. Hope he comes back soon, but I'm not. I'm not expecting it. Same. Sad. All right. Uh, so shipper note: some of this <laughs> upbeat stuff. <laughs> but now this is exciting. Yeah, left-handed pitchers, last center fielder. Got to love it. God, I love it. So the let's see. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Do we want to talk about the the, the hornet's nest of defensive evaluation? Yes, Harry. So how do you? Uh, how does one evaluate someone def- defensively? So there's a, this is like no one agrees. No one agrees. There's a, and I want to. <laughs> I actually want to. Um, this is a future programming note, but I want to talk with somebody about some definitions about defensive evaluation you know you hear people talk maybe you can speak to this harry but um you hear people talk about uh the action and the footwork and and each position obviously has different um you know that presents differently for each position but what do we mean when we say somebody's arm action or somebody's you know footwork at shortstop or they or they we i like their actions yeah and it's like okay it has soft hands like i mean i all of these things are you can kind of intuit what they mean but uh i think it'd be interesting to to talk with somebody who who kind of uses those terms on a a more uh sophisticated level than just um trying to um, intuitively understand what they mean. So yeah, they um, are very; those are very important parts of the, of the baseball language. And there's a disconnect. And you know, defensive metrics do not attempt to look at that in any right. direct way. You can't like, capture you may, soft hands, right? You except by you would assume that a guy with soft hands would field the ball more, right? So you may you're trying to make an inference about what. The guys, you not you don't know. Like it's like you're not able to measure that. You may be able to see that guys who have a reputation as having soft hands or identify who they may be because the way they handle certain things. But for the most part, you know, stat cast aside, you're just looking at like how many plays is a guy making based on where where he's positioned and where the ball is gone. Some combination or lack of information about those two things, and 
that includes so many th- it, it confounds positioning range reaction yeah. transfer time arm strength arm accuracy like you lose all that so you can make some hypothesizations about these things but you're not going to look at them and you know with the way we you know whether it's UZR or DRS or our own FRA that you're tabulating plays and outcomes and you're not looking at the skills underlying it very much. Now, a stack has to be get closer to that because you can look at the routing, the jump, you know, how quickly people react to the, the ball, and you can kind of estimate fairly well, you know, a transfer time. Um, so, you, you know, so they have all that. They're starting to show that stuff, you know, whether it's in game day or articles on the side, but that's, you know, kind of surfacing these days. Where you can see, you know, infielders too. I mean, not just the outfield. We can see the outfield stuff, but you're getting that information. Whether it's like a catcher's pop time and arm speed, which is you know not exactly pop time, but it's like they're giving you that underlying information, and that that's where this huge chasm exists. So, when, and you you would have to basically like if we were trying to do this um, in a statistical way or, or like some like um, codified way, you'd have to kind of take those and and kind of match those up with some sort of uh model to to say okay so like this means this and this kind of there's a cutoff here or there or like because there's so so much nuance well yeah i mean there's so much that goes into a defensive play that's why scouting and looking at them so so that we were kind of there was debating on addison russell's defensive skills right and the most reasonable take on it came from a person who's a coach you know and understands the actions and like can evaluate the footwork someone has and the mechanics of what, how they turn double plays that have to be turned different ways and how many different, you know, they, they think of those things. Maybe we'll have him on. Uh, you get from there and then you look at the defensive metrics and then you kind of figure out which ones kind of match what you just heard. It's like, it's really like the, the most clear sense of what a player's value or ability is still comes from the expert I when it comes to defense like we're just not very good at measuring it yeah because the coach has seen thousands and thousands of double plays turned and yeah he knows what he knows knows like what it takes and and he'll point it out and you'll understand you see it it you know know, with pitchers i I do this more with pitchers where it's like if i if i just watch a guy pitching i'm not gonna be like oh well his delivery is like this but if you put him like uh, a side to side we were looking at i think Corey kluber recently and you know some posted like four years apart or something, six years apart clips of his mechanics. And also I'm just like, then you know, just like anybody, you look at that and you start to go, Oh, I see so many things that are different. Like I see how his hand is breaking. There's a little less of the loop in his pike, all these observations about what the player's doing at this very kind of granular motor skill level. Um, these things are much more fluent for what you said. These people see thousands, you know, that's what they watch. They watch guys practice it. They're yeah. teaching it. They're thinking about it. It's drilled in. So they can look at a baseball game and see those things. And it's like, no, Addison Russell, you know, the defensive metrics all think he's good. Is he elite? And it's like skill-wise, he's elite in almost every single way. And the only weakness he has is arm strength, and he makes up for that with, like, transfer speed. And it's like you just end up with this, like, this guy's, you know, 
as good as the metrics may say. But it's kind of a weird thing because people are like, well, I don't necessarily believe the metrics. You know, one's more conservative. Yeah. Well, everybody has an opinion on what, you know, do you trust UCR? Do you trust this or that or whatever? And and so there's there's always that. And, you know, it it is conveniently brought out when (laughs) when you when it agrees with you. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Well, you know, UCR says. The next guy. Yeah, so how like, do you well, defensive run how, save says. So I still think how you evaluate defensive value is uh, for you know with catchers we've, we're kind of lucky it's a little bit different because there's these those we can break out all those discrete yeah. skills now with pitch data particularly you know they're framing they're blocking they're throwing we can use all these advanced models you know to determine the the effects of all the different players and contexts that go into why a guy may be not stealing or more likely to be thrown out stealing and if it's the catcher's you know credit or not we were really like so the types of the like you can look at framing numbers and you can look at a game and you can see it you can see that specific action you can look yeah. at defensive stuff and you can see the components you can see you can look at the player and go, oh yeah andrelton simmons does these five things yeah like, well they're guys who do, jump off the screen right who, right who are like, like wow right now it's this like aggregate like he's plus 12 runs uh and here's what he how's he here's how he does it with catching we're already at the point where like he he does it through these five skills and we here's this precise measurement of them yeah we're not there with the other fielding positions yet and we will be someday because given technologies like StatCast. Yeah. But we're not there. We ain't there yet. But we'll get there. And until then, it's going to be really annoying to evaluate defense. <laughs> It'll be a lot more arguments on Twitter about Addison Russell and, and if he's elite or not. Oh, yeah. Is he Joe Flacco or... <sighs> so where did you come down on that? Just... You think he is... Um, the, 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 the coach's summary was pretty much what I had said, but he's yeah. a little more effusive with his praise about his other skills. I was, his weakness is his arm, but yeah. ridiculous transfer. And he, and he pointed out that he has like insane footwork reactions. You know, he knows it's like he just went on. Yeah. Like to a. So where do I come down? Is he elite? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I think not quite. He's just very good. Yeah. I mean, he's a damn good shortstop. I think one like, thing that strikes me about first, him... Like, my conclusion is he's definitely a first division. You know what I mean? He's like a, yeah. first, he's a championship grade defender. Like, there's, the, yeah. is he elite now? I mean, maybe. Depends how you do... I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think it's clear. Yeah. But I think I think he's... If he's not in the first tier, he's in the second, which is, like, ridiculously good. He's... Yeah. In, in, in the grand scheme of the world, he's definitely elite. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. right. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the shortstop that I've watched the most over the last few years. I just, I'm a Cubs fan, so I watch a lot of Cubs games. Um, and what strikes me about him is consistency. Like, I feel like he's yes. really consistent. He doesn't, he's not super flashy. Like, like Javier Baez is super flashy, but there are times when <laughs> Javier Baez does not make the play that he should make. And, uh, you know, right. So well, he also makes plays that nobody, oh, else, that nobody else in the world can make. Totally. Right. No, but exactly. Addison is like just steady, 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 steady. And I, I mean, I like that. I mean, this, this is not a defensive evaluation, but I like that about him as well. Offensively is he, fe- he feels to me like he's pretty steady He's 24. Everybody's like, you know, like bagging on the guy because he's like not delivering on 
offensively, I'm like, dude's 24. Like, give give him a little time here. But I like that he he seems to have a steady approach at the plate too. And so I, I'm a big Addison Russell fan. I I think he's not quite as great as like the hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think people thought like Carlos but Correa I think he's like also, on offense. Yeah, which is like, he, nah, not gonna. He happen. deserves to. He, he's he's a based on his baseball abilities. He sh, he's where he should be playing every day in a first division team. Yep, agree. Even though those, even though Javier Baez is available, because Javi, you can put him <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> Just wind him up, and <laughs> <laughs> yes. put him out of position, and he'll be like, All right, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. Steals home, turns double plays. He's he's played a little bit of first base. Even watching Holly play first base is funny because he plays like a shortstop, like charging balls all the place. <laughs> like, dude, no, you got to go hang out by that base. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't work. So we talk about Statcast. Uh, there's also been a lot of talk related to Statcast about launch angle and barrels and you know all of these different and the, and the language is changing and the language but, is changing but it did um, so like the launch angle coincidence is like people are acting if you go back like it's true some these folks at major baseball have been saying it's about swing points yep and you, this you will post this on the show page this 1970 picture from uh chris yes. pilot was posted some pictures from science of hitting by ted williams and i mean you're gonna look at this and you're gonna see an image that is related to pitch tunnels in a way because the timing but it's all in the angles uh and then also to why you might swing up and why you might not and who won't so nothing's changed <laughs> yeah and this is circa 1970 his book was written in 1970 but these are obviously ideas that he had in the, in the you know 40s 40s or yeah. earlier i mean yeah. you're talking yeah so he his philosophy of hitting wasn't something that just put started coming up with in the 60s and finally ripped out in 1970 he was kind of breaking a few decades before that i do i like, do like yeah. that they call them joy spots though joy spots yes <laughs> i was hoping uh, nobody would mention that on the show <laughs> okay i think i like might like i don't know jo- joy I'm spots not. more than i like the sweet spot like the sweet spot joy on the spots. ball or the bat i think i might joy like spots. a joy spot better uh, i don't know all right harry Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again to Dr. Meredith Wills. Follow us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. Rate, review us on iTunes. Um, and um, we will talk to you all next time. Very well said. Smooth. Goodbye, baseball! And I'm